0: Today's show is sponsored by SendPro Online by Pitney Bowes. It helps you easily compare with the postal service, UPS, and FedEx, all in a simple online tool where you can print shipping labels and stamps from your own printer saving you time and money, and get notifications when your shipments have arrived. Plus, on January 27th this year, the postal service rates are going to be increasing. means you're going to be paying more money. Yet with Pitney Bowes, you'll be able to save 40% over their priority mail shipping costs and $0.05 on every letter just by using SendPro Online. Listeners can check them out and get a free 30-day trial by going to pb.com slash angel.
1: So in theory, right, a lot of what we do at Centrifuse is to help them engage more with early stage technologies, which these large Midwestern corporations typically don't have muscle built around that type of engagement. I mean, if you think about P&G, they don't have any brands that are less than a billion dollars in revenue every year. So for them to even engage with a startup that's at 10 million in revenue, which we would consider going into kind of a middle stage startup, right, for them to even engage with that type of startup was not something that they have a lot of capabilities in doing. They're developing that, and a lot of our LPs are developing that more and more, and starting to engage with earlier stage startups. But it's muscle that we really have to work out. So that's a lot of our role, and a lot of the activities that we participate in with our corporations help flex those
0: muscles more and more. Welcome to the Syndicate, the podcast about the investors behind the overnight successes. It takes years. It takes money. On this show, we interview the top angel investors, venture capitalists, and startups. To share what it really takes to succeed with startup investing. I'm your host, Matt Ward, and I'm a serial entrepreneur and angel investor. and I believe startups are the future, and angel investing is the best way to build real, true wealth. To find out more about us, please visit thesyndicate.vc. But now, let's get on with the show. Hey guys, welcome to The Syndicate, the show where we get the world's most interesting tech focused folks and investors. Today, we've got somebody who is transforming the Cincinnati landscape Sarah Anderson on the program thanks for coming today Sarah
1: thanks for having me Matt good to see you
0: so you reached out a while back and you wanted to tell me about the Midwest and specifically what's happening in Cincinnati because it seems like there's a lot of exciting stuff happening that I know I for one had not heard about so let's quickly get into your background and what the what the lay of the land looks like and then we'll go a little farther
1: okay sure so um I moved to Cincinnati about six years ago and started working in kind of the tech ecosystem here with a lot of startups for an organization called Centrifuge. And Centrifuge is kind of a one-stop shop for startups and entrepreneurs in tech or tech-enabled companies. And even broader than that really VC backable companies that can be scalable. And Centrifuge was created in 20 late 2012, early 2013 to provide kind of the the support system for startups in the Cincinnati region, right? In the greater Cincinnati region. So the way we think about Cincinnati includes northern Kentucky, it includes eastern Indiana, it includes Mason, Dayton. It's a, it's a fairly large region, but Centrifuge was created to support early stage entrepreneurs. And and in doing that, we work with them around raising funding we work with them about with um, early introductions to corporations as customers we work with them to help them get early mentorship. Um, so we have a lot of programs and activities that centrifuge sponsors support, engages in Part of our structure is working with a lot of the corporations so throughout the Midwest you see a lot of these ecosystems kind of emerging right different models, different, constructs. One of the biggest differentiators for Cincinnati is the density of Fortune 500 companies we have here, right? Largely led by P&G. We also have large insurance companies like Western and Southern, Great American Financial, Cincinnati Financial. And those corporations are those are the ones that founded Centrifuge? They set Centrifuge up, and they're highly engaged in the startup economy, both here and nationally. So one of the entities they created, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of Centrifuge, is Fund Funda Funds. So it's the Centrifuge Syndicate Fund, and it's it's constructed as a fund of funds and invest in early stage venture to provide these corporations with access to innovation at the earliest stages. So if you think about the emergence of blockchain or the emergence of AI or you know the hype of data analytics, things like that, a lot of our corporations that have invested in this fund of funds rely on centrifuge to help them ensure that they're getting access to these categories early on, right? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, and the idea is this way they can talent scout, see what either industries they want to get into or companies they want to acquire so that they can prevent themselves from becoming a dinosaur.
1: Exactly. That's exactly right. So, in theory, right, a lot of what we do at Centrifuge is to help them engage more with early stage technologies, which these large Midwestern corporations typically don't have muscle built around that type of engagement. I mean, if you think about PG, they don't have any brands that are less than a billion dollars in revenue every year. So for them to even engage with a startup that's at $10 million in revenue, which we would consider going into kind of a middle stage startup, right? For them to even engage with that type of startup was not something that they have a lot of capabilities in doing. Now they're developing that and a lot of our LPs are developing that more and more and starting to engage with earlier stage startups, but it's muscle that we really have to work out. So that's a lot of our role. And a lot of the activities that we participate in with our corporations help flex those muscles
0: more and more. Do you see a major focus on Midwestern industries more so than a traditional Silicon Valley or New York, I imagine just having that close access to specific types of Fortune 500 companies would create some opportunities while locking away some others.
1: Yes, we definitely do. So so by and large, driven by kind of our LP makeup, some of the major categories that we look at right now are consumer products. P&G and Kroger are both big LPs in the fund-to-funds. InsurTech and FinTech, we have a lot of very large Midwestern insurance companies that are fairly acquisitive, innovative, and interested in doing new pilots, right? So that's been a big area of interest. And then health IT, so really large health systems. That are involved. And we do a lot of shared services. So things like cybersecurity, talent recruitment, and HR technologies, marketing tech, things like that. But when you think about kind of the core verticals that our LPs play in, it really is in those three major categories.
0: Are you worried about CPG at all with Amazon essentially eating everything?
1: Everything. Yes, absolutely. I think for anybody to say that they're not worried about Amazon is a lie. I think everybody is worried about Amazon and not just in the CPG space. right? But even in the health space. So it's something that a lot of our corporations are really staying on top of. One of the things that we work with them on a lot, and I would say we're probably in maybe the second inning here is speed of decision making, right? And we hear Mm -hmm. this a lot innovation, especially around corporations, is a really sexy word. We're going to disrupt ourselves. We're, we're going to have, you know, a new growth strategy. We have an innovation team and it's centralized. Now it's decentralized. But one of the plagues, I think, that hits a lot of these corporations is just having the ability to make decisions quickly, right? And digesting that risk tolerance. So a lot of what we are trying to work with them on is how do we do things that don't have, how do we do things quickly that don't have significant implications within the corporate construct, right? So rather than making a quick decision about a major acquisition, let's do a couple pilot, right? Flex that muscle, educate the corporation and then go out and do a major acquisition. So there's a lot of that type of strategy and back and forth and thinking through a lot of this corporate innovation strategy. But I mean, Amazon is a big threat I think in every industry, honestly.
0: Yeah, you basically listed three large industries uh, consumer packaged goods and grocery, IT services and healthcare, and those are kind of Amazon's bread and butter. It's uh, a, <laughs> I imagine that's got to be terrifying in some ways for a lot of the a lot of the big Cincinnati and Midwestern companies.
1: I think it is. I mean, you saw um, you saw the acquisition of Whole Foods by Amazon, right? And I think in many ways that impacted Kroger's forward thinking strategy, obviously, right? And without divulging too much, you know, it does really create some urgency around disruption, innovation, what does the next generation look like of the services and the products that they provide, which is a good thing in my mind, right? Because we, sometimes we need that push to really make us move faster and do more, kind of have a bigger risk appetite and be more aggressive. So there's a lot a lot there that still has to be unpacked and unpacked quickly. But yeah, all three of those industries are being impacted by Amazon.
0: Would it make sense based off of your experience with larger companies to just break them into different business units and split them out as opposed to having one large and harder to manage entity?
1: Um, I that's a really complicated question. <laughs> I think it's very dependent on certain factors as in how tightly integrated are the core business units, right? So if you think about Kroger, for example one of the largest logistics. So forget about being one of the largest grocers in the world, right? They're also one of the largest logistics companies. They have their own health insurance. They have their own bank. They also have their own pharmacy. All of those are very large entities in and of themselves, right? And they all support the core business. Now, would it make sense to unbundle those? I don't know. I'm probably not the right person to make that decision. But I think in some cases, when you're thinking around about decision-making, I know it is a challenge in corporations, because there is no central decision maker, right? Very typically, even you P and G with their brands, their brand decision making often is independent within each brand, right? So you have some shared services, but if you're doing a pilot with a marketing technology, right, that is a brand specific decision, which does help speed the decision making, right? But there's no one person deciding for the whole company what technologies they're going to use in those cases. So it's a hard question to answer, but I think it's something that has been considered openly. I mean, I know you probably saw some of the news about Nelson Peltz and P&G uh, sitting on the board of P&G. So he's an activist investor and he has a board seat now on P&G, P&G's board. And he's been a vocal advocate for potentially splitting up some of the brands around like health and beauty and uh, baby care and you know different entities. So it's definitely something that I think the corporations have considered, especially some of the larger ones, but it's a hard question to answer.
0: So mantras i hear a lot for startups and from investors as well is don't take corporate money especially not too early because if you do it kind of creates bad signals or it can create misaligned incentives with venture investors or large-scale long-term growth how do you think about that how do you advise startups what are your thoughts
1: um i think a lot of it a lot of it depends on the corporation and why they're making the investment right and i think a lot around the terms so some of the things that we bear caution about um, with corporations investing very early is what is what is their purpose in the growth and trajectory of the startup, right? If they want to sit on the board and they ultimately want to acquire the startup, you know, that's something that probably can be delayed as far as an investment. They don't need to invest in the seed round. If they're interested in an acquisition, they can invest much later, maybe an A or in B. I think also if they're a passive investor, if a corporation just wants to be a passive investor, learn, and potentially pilot, become a customer, then that's not quite as problematic because they're not setting terms. They're not sitting on the board, right? The, the information flow is going to be much more limited from a um, competitive standpoint. So... It, a lot of it just depends on the terms and the construct of the deal. I don't know that in all cases it's bad, but it's just something that entrepreneurs need to be cognizant of some of the challenges that could face them later down the road.
0: What would you say is the biggest myth or misconception about Midwest startups and investing? And where Um, exactly does Midwest begin? Because we were talking earlier and you said Nashville and I was like, Nashville, is that called Midwest?
1: I consider it Midwest. I mean, think about we're kind of just North of, of Nashville. A little bit west, but, but mostly north. So we consider the Midwest really anything off of the coast, not the mountain region, but I would say stretching all the way over to Minneapolis, I would consider Midwest. You know, we have funds that invest across the Midwest that are in Houston, right, which you may consider the south, but we consider that part of the Midwest region, including Chicago. I would include Nashville, like I mentioned. Um, you know, we even work with several funds in Atlanta, even though that's more on the Southeast. But but all of those that are off the coast is kind of how we define our Midwest region.
0: Do you think investors overlook the, the flyover states, so to speak, too much?
1: Yes, especially early stage investors. So I think later stage investors have a lot more infrastructure and they're investing larger checks. So, so they can kind of surface those companies that have risen to the level of success where they would invest But a lot of times, you know, they're missing a lot of the earlier stage companies that do ultimately get acquired, especially by some of the larger corporations. We have several successful early stage companies just in Cincinnati. And if you think about the Cincinnati ecosystem compared to other regions in the Midwest, like a Chicago or even like an Ann Arbor, Detroit, you know, the number of startups we have here dwarfs in comparison to those. So if we're having some of the show ponies and we don't have any unicorns yet, but we do have some very fast growing startups that are raising money from coastal VCs, it warrants having VCs come and participate here. And I think those VCs that have done that have seen a lot of fruits to their labor. And I think we're going to see more and more of that. Um, Excel just came out with an article today about the future is beyond Silicon Valley, right? And I think a lot of VCs are really starting to look towards new ecosystems outside of the coast and beyond LA and New York for new opportunities and and some and I think you asked this earlier, but I think some of the differentiators that we have in midwestern ecosystems is it goes beyond valuations, right? Yes, our valuations are lower, but I think that there is an inherent quality of entrepreneur here as well, in that they tend to be much lower profile, heads down, working on their company, working on scaling their company, um, not no not, drama queens, not no. I mean, we really don't have any drama queens. We don't have one drama queen, but he's not a CEO, so. I think that there's a lot of really great qualities of entrepreneurs here. Um, and, and what we've seen is a lot of that bears fruit later on. I think one of the challenges for I would speak only for Cincinnati in this case, but when we work with VCs and we work with VCs around the country, when we talk to them about, you know, how does Cincinnati stack up to what you see on the coast? You know, a lot of times they do talk about this you know, value centric entrepreneur, not wanting to have high spend, really focused more on profitability and scalability. But some of the challenges that they mention is, you know, it's kind of a slower growth atmosphere. There's not that hard charging, you know, grow at all costs, you know, working 24 hours a day. So it tends to be more of a slower trajectory, kind of the tortoise and the hare, right? Slow and steady wins the race. So um, hopefully, um, but I think that is part of the the downside, and then also just the density of startups that we have here, right? We don't trans, we don't cut across all industries. So when we think about the technology startups and the life sciences startups we have here, because we do have a lot of life sciences startups, there tends to be more of a focus in specific categories. Like we don't have trying to think. So so we have about 450 startups in the Cincinnati ecosystem. Of those. I don't know that we have representation uh, for blockchain startups right? Uh, So we, we don't cover that industry at all from a startup perspective. We also have challenges around talent acquisition. So getting talent, whether it's developers or sales teams here, sometimes can be challenging because if a startup goes out of business, they need a new opportunity without having to uproot their family and move across country again. And so sometimes those challenges emerge. I think more and more, and that's a lot of centrifuge, mission, goals, opportunities is to create that density within Cincinnati, right? And our challenge is clear, right? we just, it's a marathon, not a sprint.
0: By the same regard with the employees though, they stick around way longer is what I hear.
1: Yes. There's a lot more loyalty for sure. And they're not as much horse, string, but I think it probably begs the question because they're just not the same opportunities in that there are on the West coast, right? So while the, the, teams are much more loyal they stay together more cohesively there aren't like the opportunities for them to go to five other startups right in the same position
0: yeah i guess i guess that is definitely one way one way of thinking about it i i, I gravitate towards the first explanation a little bit more mm-hmm. just because if you're somewhere with lots of women it doesn't need mean that you need to cheat on your wife but that's a it's a <laughs> that's that's a slightly different metaphor yes. but it uh
1: <laughs> um yeah and i think there is a lot to that i think there is a lot to just a midwestern mentality of it's working, values yeah exactly working with a team and sticking with a team over a longer period of time
0: what are you most excited about these days it can be an industry a trend a topic an area
1: so 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 i manage the fund of funds so we talk to a lot of managers both established managers emerging managers across all different industries and one of the things that really excites me a lot is i think there's some very smart very ambitious um, new emerging managers coming out with funds that i'm, I'm excited to see how cool. form. like for instance um, i don't know if you've heard of Desian's capital but they're focused exclusively on fintech technologies it's two guys who had several good exits. They've been together since elementary school. One of their biggest was to SVB and they started their first fund together. And I think they have a strong deal flow. They have strong fintech acumen. So I'm excited for them. Unfortunately, we can't because of our corporate LPs, there's limitations on investing in first-time funds, but it's one that I'm excited about. We also... We're excited about a fund called Grace Beauty Capital. So this is a fund that is forming out of more of a historical family office investing. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they're out of New York um, and transect between New York and San Francisco, but they do consumer products. So they're investors in Harry's, M.M. LaFleur, Rothy's, and they have Grace Beauty is actually a beauty distribution, a, gr- a beauty distributor. And so because of that, they have proprietary access to a lot of a lot of deal flow that others may not see as early. So Rothy's is a really great example, right? The shoes, women's shoes.
0: I'm, I'm terrible with shoes. I like, I have a pair of shoes <laughs> and I wear them and I, it's, it's, it's whatever color and thing it is, as long as they fit well and they're comfy, they're good. So I'm terrible on the consumer side of things in terms of knowing the brands. I think I think that's kind of part of the way the world is going, where they're becoming very generic or very specific in our consumer preferences as well.
1: Yeah, and I think that there's a lot of mission orientation around consumption right so like rothy's for instance uh they're made out of water bottles that's cool it's very cool and they're super comfortable but they're made out of water bottles so in fact i think they're coming out with some men's styles if they do i'll send them to you
0: absolutely i need to check that out it sounds interesting (laughs) yeah i like that i like the mission driven companies i when i have a founder reach out that's the next photo sharing app or something i just reply back sorry but this really doesn't matter (laughs) Or something or something thereabouts. I might not say it as bluntly, but I think investors have at least some type of obligation to the world to at least focus on things that move the needle forward.
1: Yeah, and I think consumers are following that trend too, right? So mm-hmm investors at least in my experience tend to be laggards in trend setting right the kind of following the consumer behavior and consumers definitely especially younger consumers really want to invest their money where it makes a difference
0: as long as they have that money what uh, what are you worried about these days
1: well a lot of our work is in corporate innovation um and some of the things that keep me up at night is Your corporations truly want to innovate, at least the corporations that we work with. They have the appetite, they have the desire, but it's hard, right? It's very difficult. For them to make meaningful innovation. So when you think about, there's there's small talk-ins that can be done across an organization fairly easily. You can do a fifteen thousand dollar pilot. You can acquire a fi- a company for five to fifty million, right? But when you think about true innovation, right, that becomes monumentally difficult to do in some of these corporate constructs. And that's something that worries me a lot. How do we? Overcome that to help our corporations gain a competitive advantage in a meaningful way.
0: Do you think we just moved to an era where corporations have shorter and shorter half lives or shelf lives?
1: I think that's coming. I do. I think you know. You see, the S and P 500 has changed significantly just in the past decade. Um, I think you're going to see more and more of that happening, and that scares me, right? Because those are our investors. But I think what that means is, hopefully, if those those you know, S&P 500 keeps changing, then you have companies that are continuing to be more nimble, right? They're continuing to have that muscle and that capability. Um, don't know.
0: Yeah, it's it's survival of the fittest and we might as well get rid of the not so fit companies and people. Well, well, let's not say people, but at least companies and people leading those companies if we want to have a better future.
1: Yeah. And I think, I mean, yes, I think that's going to happen. I hope none of our LPs are in that bucket.
0: Um, some, some of them will be. It's inevitable, but it's hopefully inevitable. not most of them. <clears throat> you guys will help them stay afloat right. exactly. yeah, it's a it's a it's a crazy world we're headed towards. startups become more and more important. what um, if you had one thing you wanted to leave people with, it could be a quote, a call to action, anything before you tell them a little bit more about centrifuge yourself and where they can find you, what would it be and why?
1: I think one thing I would want to convey is, you know corporations oftentimes can be challenging to deal with they can be slow it can be hard to find the right decision makers but at the end of the day it's worth it and i think to the extent we can be a sherpa for any members of your audience in accessing any of our lps we want to be accessible and we want to help them do that
0: that was such a great metaphor be a sherpa i really like that (laughs) Be a, be a Sherpa guys. Corporations is where the money is at, whether it's investment or acquisition or customers. It's a, it's definitely a great way to go. It's, it's harder, but it's a, it's a great way to go. It's a, it's super interesting as well. I haven't made it out to Cincinnati yet. What's one thing you'd want to leave people with about the city? Not tech-related, just overall the city, the culture, the vibe. What get you excited?
1: Hmm, not tech-related?
0: I mean, it can be tech-related if you really want it to be.
1: I think Cincinnati, there's a lot of growth potential in Cincinnati. So one of the, the trends that we've seen in 2018 is several new companies have formed here from founders that had nothing to do with Cincinnati, they chose they wanted to know which which city should they bring their family to and start a company in because they had an idea. And they chose Cincinnati. So, you know, it's a great place. There's a lot of support here for new emerging startups. There's a lot of support here for new emerging families. And I think there's a lot of kind of Midwestern value centric culture that can support both of those. So it's a trend I really want to see continue because we need more of that density and more of that mass. And again, like getting back to the Sherpa analogy, like that's what Centrifuge is here for. So if you are thinking about, We'll be right back. the cat sat on the a place where you should settle down, put down some roots and start an awesome company. Centrifuge is here to support them.
0: And if you're in Cincinnati or Ohio, your vote actually matters, guys, unlike most of us. True. Thanks, uh, thanks for coming on today, Sarah. Where's the best place for people to find you and little learn a little bit more about you and what you do?
1: You can find me on Twitter at, at Adams underscore Anderson, um, and on LinkedIn.
0: And we'll throw links and everything in the show notes, guys. You know the place, thesyndicate.vc. And thanks for tuning in. Thanks for coming on, Sarah. This has been fun.
1: Thanks, man it was
0: fantastic yeah it was good and if you guys haven't checked out centrifuge do that if you haven't left a review the syndicate.vc slash itunes we would be eternally grateful because apple is kind of the only game in town so thanks for doing this thanks for tuning in until next time cheers thanks for listening to the syndicate the podcast where angel investors and vcs go off the cuff and discuss the ins and outs of the venture ecosystem we're here to share the tips and tricks of the best in the business because startups and tech make the pie bigger to learn more about us and what we do, visit the and to join our syndicate on AngelList, just go to the syndicate.vc/join and get access to some of the best startup deals. This has been another episode of The Syndicate. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you guys again next week. Today's show is sponsored by SendPro Online by Pitney Bowes. It helps you easily compare with the postal service, UPS, and FedEx, all in a simple online tool where you can print shipping labels and stamps from your own printer. Saving you time and money and get notifications when your shipments have arrived. Plus, on January 27th this year, the postal service rates are going to be increasing. It means you're going to be paying more money. Yet yeah, with Pitney Bowes, you'll be able to save 40% over their priority mail shipping costs and five cents on every letter just by using Send Pro Online. Listeners can check them out and get a free 30-day trial by going to pb.com slash angel.